0: Psalm 119, starting in verse 49. I believe his word, Yes, 41, excuse me. Let your steadfast love come to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your promise. Then I shall have an answer for him who taunts me, for I trust in your word, and take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth. For my hope is in your rules. I will keep your law continually forever and ever. And I shall walk in a wide place. For I have sought your precepts. I will also speak of your testimonies before kings. And shall not be put to shame. For I find my delight in your commandments which I love. And I will lift up my hands toward your commandments which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. This is the word of God. Please be seated. When I was um, getting ready to become a chaplain... So the chaplains are kind of a weird breed in the United States military, not just because they're chaplains, but because of how they kind of function within the chaplain corps. Um, If you ever want some really bad jokes, just walk up to a chaplain and ask for the joke of the day and you'll you'll get some really bad jokes, okay? Um, Corny jokes in that sense. Um, So when you go to become a chaplain in the military, you have to go through the application process with the military side, but you also have to go through an application process with the civilian side. Because the chaplaincy has a long list of endorsers that you have to be endorsed by, um, at least one of them, to become a chaplain in the United States military. And so when I was going to Dallas, I was getting towards the time of my graduation, I said, you know what, I'll get endorsed by uh, IFCA, which we, we affectionately, IFCA is the Independent Fundamental Churches of America. Mouthful, right? AKA, I fight Christians anywhere. But that's besides the point. All right. Whoa. No, I love IFCA, I have a dear, dear place in my heart for them, but uh, so IFCA, so we had to go over to San Diego, to the Marine base in the San Diego, and get interviewed by IFCA chaplains, well me and another buddy of mine from Dallas went over there, and their wives, that's right, our wives got introduced too, that, that was the sketchy part, right, you know, wait, I could pull this off, but <laughs> oh no, all right, um, so Chrissy got in there, and Jacqueline got in there, and they got interviewed as well. Um, but I went into my interview, and I'm sitting there with these gentlemen, and they're all Navy chaplains. Or one's a Marine, but the Navy Marine gets their cha- Marines get their chaplains from the Navy. And I finished my interview, and, and I, they, I was like, do you have any you know, further questions? And they're like, well, we just got one thing. that We believe you should become a Marine chaplain versus an Army chaplain. And I was like, listen, if you could promise me that I could be a Marine chaplain, I'd do it in a heartbeat but you put me on some boat in the middle of the ocean and you close a hatch, all bets are off because I'm gonna, I'm gonna be like losing my mind, okay? But I really, really have always had this great respect for the United States Marine Corps. And, 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 and we got somebody here, Jerry, Jerry is, is a Marine. There's, no, there's, there's only a Marine, right, Jerry? There's not an ex-Marine, there's just a Marine. And, and you know why you say that? What what is the Marine's cry? Most of you should know it. Semper Simplify. Which means faithful. always faithful. Because a Marine is taught from the day that they enter boot all the way through their training, all the way that you never ever stop being a Marine. You're always faithful to the core. You're always faithful to being a Marine. It is not just a mindset you take up for just a few short years, but is a mindset that you have for an entire life. Oh, that, that the church would have that kind of understanding. Oh, that Israel would have. Look with me here at Hosea chapter, chapters 12 and 13. Hosea chapters 12 and 13. Hosea is a book in the Old Testament. So if you open your Bible up kind of the middle and hit Psalms and you just keep going towards the New Testament, right after Daniel, Ezekiel, Daniel comes Hosea. We are into our last two Sundays in Hosea and we we feel like when we're studying Hosea in chapter four verses, the first three verses there, they, they kind of lay out this map of the book of Hosea for us. God is accusing Israel of three different things. And I really, when you think of the book of Hosea, I want you to remember these three different things. God accuses them of not knowing him, of rejecting the knowledge of God. You don't know me. And when he says no, he's not talking about an academic exercise and knowledge. He is talking about experiential. Your lives have not been changed by my laws, by my commandments, by my statutes. You have rejected knowledge of me. The next thing he command he condemns them of is that you don't know me, then he says that you don't love me. And the word that he uses love here is not just this warm, fuzzy, affectionate kind of feeling. It's a covenantal, binding, lasting love. You have not, I have bound myself to you, but you have not bound yourself to me. In fact, this love that is supposed to be covenant and binding is like the morning mist that evaporates as soon as the day heats up. It's like the dew that's on the ground that disappears quickly as the day goes on. Because they don't know God, they can't love God, and because they, can't, they don't love God, this morning we're going to look at they are unfaithful to God him and this should be shocking to us this should be like what is going on God has revealed himself in the most amazing of ways to his people. He has delivered him out of the land of Egypt. He has walked them through the Red Sea. He gave them manna and water in the wilderness. He defeated enemy after enemy before Joshua and Israel. God has shown himself so amazing, powerful. He has put on works of display of power and might that how can they go so quickly forget? And then for them not to love God. Are you kidding me? A God that has shown such great compassion and mercy that when they sinned and rebelled, God created ways for them to be restored in relationship. And they would sin and rebel and God restores them. And they would sin and rebel and God restores them. And God keeps restoring them. God keeps showing this incredible love to them. How in the world could the people of Israel not want to draw themselves and bind themselves to such a loving and amazing God? And even more crazy is you've got this God who is so faithful to his people. Don't they break, the Israelites break the covenant all the time. God is steadfast and he remains and he is faithful to his people and yet they run from him and worship. And last week, as we learned, they talk to sticks for spiritual wisdom and discernment and guidance. They're unfaithful to God. Verse, chapter 11, verse 12, in the Hebrew text, if you were to look in the Hebrew text, the Masoretic text, you would see chapter 12 actually begins in verse 12 of chapter 11. So that's why I'm concluding it with it this morning. Ephraim has surrounded me with lies in the house of Israel with deceit. But Judah still walks with God and is faithful to the Holy One. Ephraim feeds on the wind And pursues the east wind all day long. And they multiply falsehood and violence. And they make a covenant with Assyria. And oil is carried to Egypt. Last week we we talked about this, what is being represented when they talk about Egypt and Assyria. Egypt is past slavery. So they're literally, this idea of oil is the wealth of Israel is being carried off to these people who once held them in slavery. It's just ridiculous to think about. But instead of turning to God and repenting of their sin and hoping in God once again to save them and keep them from this incredible judgment, they turned to the people who once enslaved them and said, our past slavery is a sign of our hope. And then they turned to Assyria And Assyria now represents their future enslavement. And so they're turning to Assyria and say, Assyria, slave us. You and your pagan gods and your powerful armies, you save us and you deliver us. And they make a covenant with them. That should just jump off the page at you because who should they be making a covenant with? They should be coveting themselves to God. Like, look what all oh, God's done for them. But instead, they continue to flee. And brothers and sisters, that's what happens when sin gets in there. And sin starts to erode our relationship with God. We stop loving God. We stop, we stop being knowing him, stop loving him. And then our faithfulness to him is gone. And we no longer bind ourselves to the almighty God. But we bind ourselves to our sin and things that represent our sin. And God accuses them of being filled with lies Deceit, falsehood, and violence. The charges of unfaithfulness, before we get there, God's going to give them a history lesson in regards to Jacob. Now, if you don't know the story of Jacob, you've got Abraham, you've got Isaac, and then you've got Jacob. Okay? <laughs> Jacob's name means, does anybody know? Deceiver, right? Right? Deceiver, like I, I don't know if anybody of you names your kids Jacob, but th- that's a tough one to swallow. Kids on the playground probably should know that, okay? It, it means deceiver. It means the guy that, and, it, and quite literally you got this picture of Jacob coming out of the womb and Esau comes out first, but you got Jacob holding onto his heel like, I'm going to change this circumstance and situation from a child, from a baby. Anybody have little kids like that, that they're just headstrong that way? You know, Clarissa's mom here today. No, Okay, I'm just teasing Clarissa. Okay, all right. I've given Clarissa a hard time because she's been giving me a hard time all week. All right. <laughs> Jacob enters this world and he is this deceiver and he tries to manipulate every situation and circumstance he enters into until finally one day he reaches this point in the climax of his story. So basically, Esau or Jacob tricks his father Isaac into giving him the birthright. Because or Isaac loved this special meal that, that Esau, the hunter, the older brother, would prepare for his father. And so he goes out to hunt and to prepare this meal. And good old Rachel, Isaac's wife, excuse me, Rebecca, Isaac's wife, says, hey, now's the opportunity. So she cooks up the meal. She puts arm skins on Jacob, and he goes in and steals Esau's birthright. Well, there's a backstory to that. And we can dive into the details of that birthright. shouldn't have gone to him anyway because it was paid for some food earlier. But that's a longer story. We're going to just move on. So guess what? Jacob gets the birthright from his father. But he's scared that his brother Esau is going to... Right? and take back that birthright. So he flees the land, and he goes back to, to, to another land, and he finds and he goes into this well, and he's getting water for the well, and there's this beautiful woman there, Rachel, and he looks at her, oh man, she's just beautiful. And and so he goes, and he goes to her, her father, and he says, I'll serve, and I'll work for her for so many years. He gets tricked. This is a great story. He gets tricked, um, and, and it's a nice dark tent, and in comes not Rachel, but Leah. Here comes Leah, the sister. Well, he, he lies with her, and guess what? Now he's married to her, and, and Rachel is still out there. And, and then he says, Well, you work for me another seven years, and you get Rachel too. Okay, great, because one wife is not hard enough. Okay, now he's got two. Fabulous. Here we go. Hey, you know I love a baby, right? But you would agree, the vice versa, right? Okay, so you got this wonderful situation going on here. Well, he tricks his father-in-law by these sticks and these reeds. And again, Jacob is this deceiver. He is trying to manipulate every circumstance to ensure his own prosperity. It's just what he does. But all of a sudden, he, he leaves out of his, fa- his father-in-law's land and he's coming home. And now he's faced with returning to see his brother Esau face to face. And there's nothing he can do to manipulate this situation this is that famous story where, where Jacob wrestles with an angel. And in some texts, it seems to insinuate that Jacob is wrestling with God himself, and, and they wrestle all night long, and Jacob won't let go until God blesses him because Jacob realizes from this point on, it doesn't matter if God doesn't bless me, my story is over. I can't manipulate, I can't deceive, I can't do anything more. And what he's saying, what what Hosea, what God is saying through Hosea, the prophet here, he's saying, I wish you would be like verse, look, chapter 12, verse 2, the Lord has indictment against Judah and he will punish Jacob according to his ways and he will repay him according to his deeds. In the womb, he took his brother by the heel and in his manhood he strove with God. He strove with the angel and prevailed. He wept and sought in his favor. He met God at Bethel and there God spoke with us. The Lord, the God of hosts, the Lord is his memorial name, So you, by the help of your God, return, hold fast to love and justice, and wait continually for your God. Turn, return to God, be like Jacob, and return to God, cling to God, Israel. But what you're doing is going to cause devastation. Return to your God, and there's this wonderful plea here. Learn from the story of the past. Learn from Jacob. Just as if Jacob was a deceiver, Israel, you have been a deceiver. And you've deceived yourselves and you have deceived others. And the accusations that's going to fall against Israel falls primarily in line with their relationships with each other. The example of their unfaithfulness is how they've treated one another, which should speak to us as the church, powerfully of the church. How do we demonstrate our faithfulness to God? By how we conduct family with each other by how we serve each other by how we live out these commands that you're going to go so diligently dive into the scriptures to discover and I can't wait to hear about but as we live together for the glory of God we represent to the world our faithfulness to the God and faithfulness to him as well and so look with me here at verse 7 a merchant in whose hands are false balances. He loves to oppress. And I want to stop right there. Proverbs has a lot to say about false balances. Proverbs chapter 11, 1. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 23. Speaks to those who would deceive others by creating false balances. False scales. So a weight that was meant to represent a payment for like, let's say you're gonna pour out grain. They they would hollow out the weight and they'd put it down and so they'd have to put more grain or they'd add extra weights inside and they'd, they'd manipulate the scales so that they wouldn't have to pay out as much money to people. You see, he says here, he goes on to say in verse eight, Ephraim has said, ah, but I am rich and I have found wealth for myself and all my labors they cannot find in me iniquity or sin. Amos 8, 4, and 5 says this. Hear this, you who trample on the needy and bring the poor of the land to an end. Say, saying, when will the new moon be over that we may sell grain and the Sabbath that we may offer wheat for sale, that we may make the ephah small and the shekel great and a, a deal deceitfully with false balances. What's going on here? You've got the wealthy of Israel... Now, you got to understand, God perceives wealth way differently than we perceive wealth today. I was reading in an article today. I get the, the news updated on my phone. And it said that 70% of our nation's wealth resides within a 10% of the people group of this nation. So 70% of our money, our wealth in this nation belong to 10% of the population. Okay? Now, that's like a breed for like, bad things to happen, right? But according to God's economical situation, God says that you're given much so that much can be expected of you to give out. I don't mean to elevate a particular individual or create any kind of idol worship or people worship, but I've reigned into such a man who was quite wealthy at Dallas Theological Seminary, and he was the president of First Interstate Batteries this gentleman was worth a lot of money billions of dollars millions of dollars he's a lot of money but his account keeps coming back to him every year and saying to him like how in the world are you in the green like you give away so much money to those who are in need we had a spouse die at dallas Young man was working on his dishwasher, a student there at Dallas. Crawling up underneath and running some wrenches. Massive coronary heart attack, 34 years old, did. Wife and three little kids. The president of First Interstate Batteries steps in, buys them a house, pays college fund and tuition for those kids for them to grow up and to have and provides something for her so that she can survive for a long time. You see... God sees the wealth of Israel to be a blessing to those who are not wealthy, to the widow, to the orphan. The fact that people are begging in the streets of Israel is a shame to Israel itself. Because God was supposed to, God through Israel, through the providing of wealth to them, was supposed to be a blessing to the whole nation. Now, I'm not arguing for a communist society. That's not what seems to be said here. But there seems to be said that the wealth, the way wealth is perceived by people who are people of God is to be something that is a, be a blessing to other people, not just for the wealthy. And he's sitting here, you use, okay, so that's the baseline. The baseline is you're supposed to understand the wealth you've been given so that you can give to others. But they've teetered it even more. They've said, wait a minute, we're going to ensure that we're going to be really wealthy and the poor are going to be really poor. And so we're going to adjust the scales so that we ensure our wealth to increase and the poor to decrease. God is accusing them of being unfaithful. How can you say you love me? How can you say you know me? You're an unfaithful generation to me because how you use your money for your own gain. And you step on the backs of others to ensure that you keep your wealth. You know, and there's something that's always kind of stuck with me in studying Old Testament law and how they would have handled even their crops. Did you know Back in that time, they would only glean 90% of their fields. 90%. They'd go out there and they would only harvest 90%. The other 10% of the field was left for the orphans, the widows, was left for those who were in need in their community. Brothers and sisters, if we're living on 100% of our means and leaving nothing, for others to glean from I would say this accusation could be leveled against us we in this church and in this town are a wealthy people and if you think well I don't you know Go take a look. Go take a. Tri- uh, we've tried to encourage going to missions trips because oftentimes when you go on missions trips, you start to understand, I need to live on left so I can give more away because we start to see the world and what real poverty looks like, real brokenness looks like. Are we living in such a way to give away greatly? The next thing he charges him with here goes on in this text. He says, I am the Lord your God from the land. He says, verse 8, Ephraim has said, ah, but I am rich. I have found wealth for myself and all my labors. They cannot find in me any iniquity or sin. I want you to pause there for a second. What an arrogant statement. What's being said there? Wealth equals righteousness. I have money, Therefore, I'm a good dude, good gal, right? I have wealth. My wealth proves my power, my might, my goodness to this community, even though I'm ripping the community off, even though I'm of no benefit for the community, I'm not supporting the community, I'm not taking care of the orphan, I'm not taking care of the widow, I'm not taking care of those in need, I'm just taking care of my, me, but the establishment of my wealth, shows that I'm a righteous individual. This is the sounding of prosperity gospel way back here in Hosea. Right? We have because we're good people. No, we have so that we can give away. We have so that we can demonstrate our faithfulness to God by saying, I don't need to live in a $1.5 billion house, right? I can live with less so I can give more away. I mean, this is what he's saying here because brothers and sisters, this isn't home. We gotta stop living like this is home and we we gotta stop setting up shop like we're putting all of our money into this account because this account's gonna burn. The Notre Dame Cathedral burned. What a great statement to us. And then, you know, it kind of broke my heart. Billions of dollars flooding Notre Dame Cathedral to build it up and on people are going hungry in this world. What's going on? Well, we should expect that from the world, right? But from Christians, we should not expect that. From Christians, we should understand that God has given us so that we can give. And that we got to understand that our wealth is not a sign of the state of our heart. If you're sitting here this morning, man, the books were in the green last month, and man, we had a lot of money. I must have done something really right. No, God was just generous, and he was generous so that you can be generous to others. That, that's what he's doing. It's his kingdom economics. This is, this is God's kingdom economics at work here and now through his kingdom people, you and me. He goes on, he says, I spoke to the prophets. It was I who multiplied visions through the prophets and gave parables. If there is iniquity in Gilead, there shall surely come to nothing. In Gilgal they sacrifice bulls. Their altars are also like stone heaps and on the furrows of the field. Jacob fled to the land of Aram. There, Israel served for a wife, and for a wife he was guarded sheep. And by a prophet, the Lord brought Israel up from Egypt, and by a prophet he was guarded. And Ephraim was given bitter provocation. So his Lord will leave his blood guilt on him, and he will repay him for his disgraceful deeds. Chapter 13, verse 1 And when Ephraim spoke, there was a trembling. He was exalted in Israel, but he incurred guilt for Baal and died. And now they send more and more and they make for themselves metal images, idols skillfully made of their silver, all of them the work of the craftsmen. It is said of them, those who have human sacrifice, kiss calves. Therefore they shall be like the morning mist or like the dew that goes away early, like the chaff that swirls from the threshing floor or like smoke from a window. The third thing, that demonstrates the unfaithfulness of Israel is that gifts and skills that God had given them were not being used for the glory of God, but were being used for idolatry. Exodus chapter 31. Last year when we studied Exodus, we, we went through this and we looked at this passage and it says, The Lord said to Moses, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri and the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the spirit of God and with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, and cutting stones for setting and carving wood, to work in every craft. What is taking place here is God has gifted his people for the construction of the temple. Excuse me, at this time it would be the tabernacle. And they constructing the tabernacle and putting these things together, God had given them the gifts and the abilities to do this. And here in Hosea, those God-given gifts and abilities and skills for craftsmanship were now being given to, to build calves. And this is kind of crazy to think about. Like, just off the chart, that they're building and constructing things with their human hands and then turning around and worshiping them. Like, I made this and now I'm going to worship this. What is that really truly your worship of? Look at what I created. I do great things. Look what I make. I make good things. Look what I can do. I got great musical ability. Look how good I am. And I'm going to draw more attention to myself. You know, it's one of the things I love about our praise teams up here on the Sunday morning. They're not up here about drawing attention to themselves. Their hearts and their desires is to glorify and to praise God. And I know that because I know these individuals. They're here to be like this, this, this conduit through the, for the praise of God just to flow through this mor- on, in the mornings that we get to praise God. And we sing a lot in this church. I don't know too many other churches that gather together on a Sunday morning, the families that gather together that sing six songs on a Sunday morning, but we do it. Why? Because this is an essential part of what we do. And I don't know how often we get to do this during a week, but once a week, six songs doesn't seem like that many, does it? Ah, we should do more, right? Uh, (laughs) Listen, the gifts God has given us, the abilities God has given us is not for our glory. And that's one of the things that you you come up and you tell me, oh, great sermon, pastor, whatever. Let me tell you what, don't tell me that. If you really want to encourage my heart, you say, God hit my heart this way this morning. God challenged my heart this way. The spirit was working this morning and my heart was challenged and I was... I was brought to my knees. I was brought to a place of confession. My faith was encouraged this morning. My faith grew this morning. That's encouragement to me. Because I can flip on the radio and listen to guys that are 100 times better than I am at preaching and the skills. And I don't want to be bad at my skill. That would be wrong. But at the same time, I am not here to earn praise for the skill of preaching. I am here to point people to God. And to show them that the word of God is still relevant for their life today. That Hosea, this book written for Israel thousands of years ago, is still relevant to you and I today. And still challenges our hearts as we live unfaithful lives. As we struggle to know God. As we struggle to love God. We are GOMERS. How many of you all have, have gone home and like in your time with God and said, confess to God? No, don't raise your hands here. But, but have said, Lord, I'm the whore. Because God uses strong language because that's what sin is. It's gross. It's deplorable. It's disgusting. There's nothing nice, good, sweet, innocent about it. It's gross. Such is the word of language of whore. of being unfaithful to God. Brothers and sisters, but the beautiful thing about this is, is chapter 14 is a week away, but I'm going to give you a little prelude to it. Guess what? He provides grace He provides forgiveness that I can sit here and say, yes, I am the whore this morning and God's grace is more than sufficient to cover my sins and wipe them away more than enough. And I can live free in him that my past no longer needs to dictate me, dictates me my future. That I can confess that I struggled to live for God this morning, that I struggled to have faith in the message that God was laying on my heart this morning, that I was nervous about it, that I was concerned about it. I can confess that this morning, that I was not believing that the Holy Spirit was working in me when he was. And I can say, God, forgive me for my unfaithfulness. Forgive me for my lack of belief in you. And he will be just to forgive me, forgive me of my sins and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. So we can bring our unfaithfulness before God and say, God, forgive me for lacking faith in you, for deceiving, for manipulating, for trying to create my own prosperity. Instead of the life that you have for me, I've been trying to ensure my future, guarantee my future separate from you. You see, I'm still believing we just went through the Acts series and I think God is calling some of our people out. And I think some of you are struggling with it. I think some of you are struggling with a calling that God is placing on your hearts. The Spirit has been moving within you. He has been speaking to you and you've been saying, but God, what about my future? What about my plans? What about the things that I'm trying to get from my, and in so doing, we're showing our unfaithfulness to God when he's saying here, I have bound myself to you through the Savior, Jesus Christ. I will provide. I'll make sure you know me like you've never known me. You'll experience my love in ways you will never experience and never would experience. And I will be faithful to you. Even when you doubt, even when you question, even when you falter, I will be faithful. This is what God promises to us. He says, I will be faithful. So we can go. We can step out and be obedient to where God's calling us. And for some of it, maybe that's just talking to a neighbor. Maybe there's a neighbor you know you should be talking to right now. But the person drives you nuts. Maybe the person right now that rented out their home this weekend and there's trash all over it. Or there's 25 cars in the yard, right? Right? You don't, I don't know what you're dealing with this morning. But you need to go like not judge that person but love that person and not go over to their house to like go clean up your yard can't believe you did that to our neighborhood it's going to drop the value of my home ooh there's the real issue (laughs) not out of love not out of their hearts broken for them to know the gospel of Jesus Christ and how their lives changed maybe God's calling you to a ministry in this valley maybe God's saying you know what You need to be volunteering at Chelan Valley Hope or with Thrive or with Young Life. Maybe maybe God's been putting on your heart to work with kids. But maybe you think you're too old. Or maybe you think you're too busy. And you're gleaning 100% of your field and you got nothing left. And God's saying, glean 90% and you'll have plenty. And I'll provide for you. Go serve me. But you're fighting God on it maybe god's calling you to leave this valley this is a beautiful place to live incredible you kidding me the view walking down the hill i wasn't able to walk this morning cuz the rain yes i was a chicken i didn't walk in the rain but the mornings that i have you just look at this view you're like oh this is incredible we're spoiled i mean what a what a lush plush place to live and god may be calling us out to go to go to someplace we don't want to go. like Maybe you're like, your number one value is like living in a small town. You're like, I am a small town person. It's a sense of pride. And God's saying to you, I want you to go to the heart of Seattle. I want you to go to the heart of Portland and minister for me there. And you're like, no. You kidding me? That's, that's, where, that's where those people live. Brothers and sisters, God is in the business of shaking us up for his glory and for our good, for the good of those who call upon him as Lord and Savior. Is he your king? Then let him reign, and it'll be good. I promise you, it'll be good. Maybe he's asking the big ask. Maybe some of you are like going, God is, I have for some reason, the last two weeks, I can't shake it, but Nigeria, or like Russia, or Kazakhstan, or like Honduras, or like, I can't get it out of my head. In fact, I woke up, and I I read some news article, and I just started crying. Maybe God's calling you to go. To leave behind the comforts of life and pursue Him. There's so many different ways God calls us out but I can't think that we just went through the book of Acts that we could study this book of Hosea and say, and the Holy Spirit not be moving in somebody's life in a big way. And it's okay. It's okay to get called out by God because he is, he is the one who's revealed himself. He's made himself known and not, again, we're, we are in a religion that is completely different from all the other religions in the world. Because all the other religions in the world, they, can, they know of their God, but in Christianity, we not only know God, we experience him daily in our lives. God is saying, I want to make myself known to you. That passage that we talked about for Reuben's memorial service, Luke 9, 56 to 62. I can't even imagine that gentleman. I mean, Jesus turns to that one guy and he says, follow me. The guy says, Oh, I need to go bury my dad first. And we want to point fingers at that guy saying, are you really? Like Jesus, the son of God, like the, the king, the king just asked you to follow him. And you're saying, I gotta bury my dad. Who do you think is calling you now? He's the king. he's the Lord and if he says follow me it's, it's going to be hard but it's going to be good yes. I must finish with this note because this is where the end of 13 leaves us if we reject the knowledge of God if we stop binding ourselves to God if we're unfaithful to God the only expectation that we can have his judgment. But again, why does God judge his people? Why does God bring this discipline upon his people? So that they will return and worship him. Brothers and sisters this morning, if you feel that hand of judgment upon you, guess what? We can confess our sin and return to an obedience to God and God will restore us but also the same thing to you this morning. If you are rejecting the call of God upon your life, if you're ignoring that knowledge and how he's revealed himself to you, guess what? You can expect judgment. And it may not come in the form that you think it may come. It may come by more wealth blessing. God's not judging me. Look at my life. I got everything I want, everything that I could ever need. And the more wealth you receive, the further you go from God. Or God may take something from you in order to gather your attention and draw you into faithful obedience to him. But if we reject the knowledge of God, the love of God, and his faithfulness to us, brothers and sisters, this is what we can expect is discipline by God. And it is good. Please join with me in prayer. Father God, thank you for this morning. And I just ask that your Holy Spirit to continue to move as we move into this time of, of, of God's stories, this time of communion, this time of further music and celebration of who you are. not let us remain, Lord God. Challenge us, push our faith, grow our faith, Father God, for we want to be a people changed, altered by you. Lord, we thank you for what you've given us, the houses that we have, the cars that we have, the families that we have, the jobs that we have, the hobbies that we have, all these these. these plurality of things that we have and we can sometimes hold very dear near to our hearts Lord God I pray that this morning as a church family we just begin to release those to you that we begin to look at and say okay God where do I need to cut out instead of being like 100% spent with my time 100% spent with my money and my finances Lord God where do I need to cut back so I can give away more so that we can show faithfulness to you as we tend to the needs of our body. Thank you, God, so much for this opportunity to live for you, to be your kingdom people now, and show the world that Jesus has come. In Jesus' name we pray, and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
1: Thank you, Scott. Uh, Friday night, this last Friday night was our our life group night and we're taking turns leading the topic and this story was shared which just popped into my head as I was walking up here. I had something different I was going to say but to preface it, if you're not in a life group, get in a life group. They're just awesome. They're going to help you develop your relationship with God and with the community and people around you so I encourage you to do that the story um, began in a it was a windstorm that knocked down a big tree and the and I'm kind of summarizing it as I remember it um, the it was discussed what took the tree down was it the wind because it didn't knock the other trees down. And as you look into the core of the tree, it had rotted out and had been destroyed from within to the point of where it grew weak. And then the the challenge of the wind against it broke it. And it's kind of an analogy that we can apply to our lives. If we're not in the Word, if we're not seeking the Lord, then we're filling our hearts and our minds and our lives with something else. And uh, and is that strengthening us or weakening us in our faith? So I just wanted to share that. Um, we're going to enter into God's stories. The other thing I wanted to say is, are you getting? What are you getting out of this Hosea series? It's a challenging one for us, for sure. But is God stirring something in your heart and your mind with it? And is it something that you want to share with us because it may encourage others and it may resolve that? in your own mind, in your own heart, if you speak it out. So I just want to open up the Time for God stories with that uh, encouragement to share what God's putting on your heart through this series, and or whatever else uh, God's doing. So is there anyone who has something?
2: Um, Needless to say, this last since last September Brian and I have been through a lot with his health and my son was in a motorcycle accident well he was in another one and about three weeks ago and almost lost his leg and I was able to go back last week and spend some time with him and through this I know it was almost a real bad tragedy for us but um I gave him a book that was given to me when Brian was ill with devotions and my sister sent a Bible back to him and he's reading that every day and he even sat there and read the book of Obadiah which I have never read the book of Obadiah and now he's decided that's what he's going to name his son if he ever has another son so I thought that was kind of interesting but uh, he called this morning while pastor was preaching and his wife and him have not had the best of relationship in the last few days because it's just been a really tough situation with him being in the hospital for twenty some days, and you know I lay there, I was there listening to him scream, and um, I just sat there and prayed, God, please help his pain. And he sent a nurse to him for two days that wasn't somebody I would have expected, and Andy. He was very gay and but the nicest nicest man and we hugged him and I told him I know God sent you to my son and he was so appreciative that we responded to him that way because he wasn't treated very nicely by some of the other patients and Andy shared with me while I was talking to him this morning that his wife went to church with a couple that they're going to be staying with during his recuperation and Uh, She became saved this morning. And that's, you know, and I've always prayed that God would send somebody to my kids that could reach them because I haven't been able to. But I realized this morning just listening to this sermon, it was me that God's sending to my kids. And um, it may have taken a long time for them to, to see it, but... I feel that through the sermons that I've heard lately and, and making my faith stronger and trusting in God even through tragedy that um, he's using me. So I just wanted to share that.
0: God.
1: Thank you.
2: Hello, uh, I'm Dave Epperson, I work with Young Life here. Um, this last Monday we had um, a sort of partnership fundraiser with Marcellas, um, where they were donating uh, 10% of the evening's sales to Young Life, and we don't have the check on that yet, but it, the whole place was packed the entire time, so, and a lot of those people were Livingstone people, so I just want to thank you guys all for uh, supporting us in that way. And um, it was such a success that Marcella said that she wants to try to do it uh, every year on their anniversary, so get ready for uh, next year as well. So that's cool. Thank you.
1: Anyone else? I'm coming,
3: I'm coming. All right. We have some smart people in here. <laughs> you know what? This Hosea has really done things to me. What our pastor said, do 14 chapters every day. Let me hold it for you. Oh, okay. So I did. About the fourth day, I said, Lord, why does God want me to keep doing this for? But then I kept right on. Every day I found out something different. And that's the way Hosea and all the prophets are. But my story this morning is to, to our veterans. On Thursday, my life was sort of a messy life. But by the time it was over, I realized that it was something God had planned for me. Stephen and Kathy Furman and I went to the Apple Cup to have dinner. We got out just in time for the parade. And when those colors came down the street and we saw one of our most godly men here, Skip Utec, carrying that flag. He loves his God and his country so very much, and I am so proud that we have him here with us. That just made me bring tears to my eyes to see this, and I knew that's why God had put me there. We have a lot of good people that have give most of their lives for us. And our pastor, I love him because I know he really loved every man or woman that he was with. So that's just what I want to say today. Thank you. Especially to Skip and Carol Utec. Amen.
1: Anyone else?
4: I was debating whether to share because I wanted to be eloquent in my words, but (laughs) it's just not going to happen. So last week, I got to go to a national PA conference in Colorado. And this year, I was going to go by myself. And, you know, Scott got his time at the monastery. I was going to have my time go to some conferences. But then just kind of, I thought I'd spend the rest of the time just in the Word and hiking and running. And, but I was sick the whole time I was there. And then it wasn't in the 60s. It was in the 40s. And it snowed. <laughs> so, so it gave me, I guess, a great excuse to stay in at times. But, um, uh kind of in that I was kind of frustrated with the Lord I was like there's I, there's a lot I passed a homeless person at least one like multiple times during the day and whatever I'd have on me you know would just give and ask their name but there wasn't because I would then start coughing and hacking and nobody you know especially if you're home you don't want people sick around you who's just gonna make you sick so I was kind of frustrated because I didn't take time then to just hear their story or have a conversation and I thought okay lord like what like thank you for giving me the courage just to go like at one point I went downtown by myself and I'm dressed in like conference clothes and my name is on my name (laughs) badge, and um and I had these food and I thought oh this probably isn't this. I'm glad my husband doesn't know I'm doing this on my own. Um, so went down and, and was able to to give out some food and come back. But it just wasn't, like, I didn't, it was something kind and nice. But I didn't get to share the gospel. Like, and so my way back, like, I could just pray. Like, I prayed for them. Like, that God would put. Because it's not all about, like, my opportunity to share the word of God. Like, even though it feels good. Like, um but just even the opportunity to do it, because there is power in prayer, and so I don't, maybe I won't know until I get to heaven, like, what became their story, but, so I was just like, talking with God, and just a little frustrated, uh, but I also didn't feel good, so I was like, okay, um, alright, and then we get to the airplane, I get to the airplane ride home, and um, I... I just wanted to sleep. I was really tired and I didn't feel good. And I thought, I'll sleep Sleep for three hours so I could drive three and a half hours home to be back at clinic the following morning So I got home about 1.30 in the morning. And um, got on the airplane. I have the window seat. There's a woman next to me and then this gentleman. And this gentleman would not stop talking. Like he was talking, like he was a vet. He was a disabled vet. And then as he started to share, like he kept bringing up the Bible, and he was like, I'm not a, I don't believe in God, like, actually, I believe that Jesus, like, like, yeah, the history says, like, he came to the earth, and he was crucified, and yeah, I think the proof is there, he rose again, and all of a sudden, I was like, and I just kept trying to, like, we are just trying to be, being kind of cordial in our conversations, and really, he talked most of the time. But as I found, like, okay, Christy, you're not sleeping, but God is doing something. And so I could just, like, my heart picked up pace. And I started just, like, praying. And um, the lady next to me was very quiet most of the time. And then she shared that she was a believer in Jesus, and she was not attending, she was not gathering with anybody at this time. And I didn't say anything real profound. But yet at the same time, it was profound because I got to speak the truth of the gospel to this gentleman and the importance of gathering with believers to this. Late, but we were all just sharing it for three hours. I mean, it went by really fast, but I just thought it was ironic here. I'm like, Kayla, why don't you to talk to anybody? <laughs> and then I'm like, oh, I just want to sleep. And then there's this guy talking who would not let me go to sleep. And, and so I was like, oh, <laughs> okay, you're answering my prayers now. And so doing that, um, but I just, I also kind of made me an of you guys. Like, it is so easy in the busyness of life to get up and go about your day. I remember when I was a brand new believer, like I literally woke up, I'm in high school every morning, k okay, God, oh, what do you have for me today? Like, what, like where do I get to be on mission for you? Where do I get to speak your truth and your excitement to people? But I found over years, over decades of deployments and children and a, a tense job um, that that kind of fell out of, sometimes I still do it, but not as intense and with the excitement um, and, um, but, but I feel like he's, he still was doing his job, at like Amen. just encouraging, even as we go through Hosea, like we've got to be on mission. You know, when we were in San, San Francisco, the couple that we were with kept saying like, we don't, why don't you speak to them? Like, you don't know when their time is up. Like you don't know. And I just don't, I was convicted that I don't, I'm not, apparently I wasn't afraid for people to go to hell and not know Jesus. Like, right, like that should stir everything about my being. And it's sometimes, it's, it's not in the big grand things, sometimes in the simple things. Just like yesterday, we were trying to sell our truck, this is a little story, we were trying to sell our um, truck and we were had an amount that we didn't not want to go under because we really like to get out of debt. <laughs> and, um, But yesterday, we just started praying, like, Lord, like, what what do you want us to do with this? And we got a Facebook message for a couple. And it was a young Hispanic couple that I used to, actually, I used to work with her. And she knows that we're believers. And they came and they drove it. Her husband wanted it. And anyways, we both, like, Simon, I think it's just the Holy Spirit, like, talking to both of us, like, you you just need to drop that. Price, and we just were able to spend a little bit of time with him and talking with him. And I don't know, I just when you, if you have, number one, pray for God to give you the courage to pray, to be used, and to be open to whatever He has you do. It's it's not okay to be in your comfort, and He'll answer, I promise. That was longer than
1: I wanted to say.
5: Hi, my name's Jim, and uh, God's been really stirring me lately. It's been an interesting couple of years in my life where He's challenged me. And the question that He's asked me is Is God enough? Am I enough, Jim, for you? I've known and experienced everything we are, everything that's in this world, it's His. It's not mine, it's not yours, it's not yours. It's, it's all his. Is he enough? And all too often, he's also stirred my soul with this phrase. I don't know where in scripture it is, I'd have to go back and find it. But be still and know that I am God. So when I'm feeling lonely or whatever life's challenging me with that day. If I be still, I turn to Him. I feed on His Word. And He is enough. Every time. When I start into that emotion and, you know, wrestling match, if I just turn to Him, yield to Him, feed on His Word, He is always enough. I'm not sure what he's stirring me to do but he's been getting me up more and more which he used to do it in the middle of the night and so i i go to prayer who who do you need me to pray for lord what wh- whether it's me or and he'll bring someone to mine and then i find out oh they're going really going through some stuff but is god enough is he enough for us he, he needs to be, he wants to be, he desires to be enough. And I'm not going to go on and on, but he's an amazing God. I'm very thankful for him over my entire life.